Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us at Out of Sight Adventures. I hope you guys are excited about tonight as much as we are. I'd like to take this moment to go around and introduce the crew. Of course, I have my wingman here tonight, Brian Smith. Happy 2021, everyone. Hello. Can you believe it? It's already the fourth day. I can't believe it's the fourth day of 2021. Yeah, you're right. That's. Oh, (laughs) wow. So tonight we don't have a pilot. Tonight we have our driver, Desiree. Hey, Desiree, how are you? Howdy. Hey, hi. Hello there. <laughs> Listen, if any of us are driving, stay off the road. That's all I'm saying. Well, yeah. We, we <laughs> great driver. <laughs> it's just everybody else. Yeah, right? It's them running into you. And then, of you. course, for all you guys joining us on ACB Radio, we could not do it without our ACB media support. Thank you, Darrow, for being our streamer tonight. It is my pleasure and happy and better New Year, everyone. Better new, better year, everybody. All right, so we're going to get the show on the road. We're going to have a, an amazing, amazing show. Brian, remind me again what we're doing tonight. We are hitting, for the first time, some of the national parks of this wonderful country of ours. And we're not going on planes, so we don't have to worry about any of the DOT uh, paperwork. So, whoop, whoop. Instead, right. we are going. <laughs> oh, you bet we can do anything in our Winnebago. You know what? What? I kind of got a hankering for a hot tub. A hot tub. You know, I a think I might tub. just go back to the hot tub and get my old bones of soap. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, man. Well, don't you want to go play some tennis first, man? Tennis? Where are we going to play tennis? On the top of our uh... Winnebago. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I forgot. I just put that in by the helicopter pad. Woo, woo! Boy, Desiree, have you really spiffed up our ACB Winnebago. So, you guys, don't worry. The ACB airline jet is getting fueled and cleaned and sparkly for our big international trip next week. But tonight, we're Winnebagoing it. Woo, woo! All right, Brian. Did you just say Winnebago? Oh. I think you just said we're going to beggle. Are you hungry? I am. So, yeah, we are doing the national parks of the United States. So I get to geek geek out tonight on my travel, travel geek segment. We're going to start it off with a fun little video for you about why they do what they do. Take it away, Desiree. Text on screen, August 25th, 1916 to August 25th, 2017. National Park Service. Park guide sitting in a rocking chair in front of the Frederick Douglass House National Historic Site, Washington, D.C. One of the things that I relish about working for the National Park Service is the fact that we have a tremendous opportunity to educate. Boy, watching park ranger talk. You know, people from all over the world. Picture of Frederick Douglass Personal Library. Um, when I think about the stories that we tell here at uh, Frederick Douglass National Historic Site, the stories that I told. Ranger speaking to visitors in front of Frederick Douglass House National Historic Site. When I was on the National Mall, uh, the stories that I learned. 
Ranger showing kids a geyser. When I was matriculating through the halls of academia in history. Colonial interpreter talking to a little boy. I mean, you can actually empower people to be great. Ranger smiling at a little girl. When they see those examples of greatness in other individuals. Park ranger helping kids at a table. And then say, you know what, I can do that as well. Young girl planting grass. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you, I may be talking about history. I may be talking about, uh, you know, things of the past. But for me, it's really teaching the principles of leadership and teamwork using history as a vehicle through which to do it. And if you can inspire young people to come in here who, when they leave, they want to be better or do better, I think we've accomplished, we've accomplished our, our mission. Oh, that is so awesome. And there's so many places we can go. Let's go. So, yeah, the national parks are a, a true treasure. Um, they were established in 1916. So, like, they're kind of a new thing for our country. But when we were doing this and, you know, we do our research so we can bring these travel geek facts to you. Uh, when it was established, there was already 35 national parks and monuments in the country. So that was kind of cool to me that there wasn't a an actual service to oversee all of them, but there were 35 national parks and monuments already. Um, now there's 140 national parks and monuments in our country. Wow. So that's a lot of places to visit. A lot. I mean, if you average, it's almost like three estate. I mean, it doesn't work out that way because Rhode Island's not that big. But you know, you can go around this country and vacation for a long time in your Winnebago. Uh, with your personal driver that I need and, you know, see a lot of really cool. This country is gorgeous and has so many different things to offer us. Uh, and we're going to touch on a little bit of that tonight. So it's pretty cool and I'm excited to do it. Um, the other thing we talk about national parks and the monuments. So, you know, the national park service has the Washington monument. You're the gentleman talk about being on the national mall and things like that, but they also um, run national historic sites, national shorelines, uh, preserves. Um, so any, anytime you go somewhere and this is registered under a national historic site or things like that, um, like the Ebenezer church in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where Martin Luther King was a preacher, things like that. That's all registered through the National Park Services. So they have a ton of things going on outside of just the parks and um, monuments that they take care of. So I thought that was kind of interesting to find all of that out. Um, so I think, Brian, we should make a commitment to the community since there's 140 places we can go park-wise. I don't think this is going to be our last call for our Winnebago this year. No, I think the Winnebago is going to get fired up again only, 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 only if we get that song back. So, so the all right, lar- I'm gonna go chill in the hot tub. Go ahead. All right, cool. So, the largest one is um, Rangal St. Elias in Alaska. Um, it is 3.2 million um, acres. So, 3.2, so Yosemite, Yellowstone, two of the biggest in the country, and the country of Switzerland would all fit in this one national park in Alaska. So that, I was like, that's ginormous. I can't even wrap my like head around how big that is. <laughs> so um, the smallest is 0.2 acres. 
And if I have anybody from Philadelphia or that's been from Philadelphia that wants to correct me on how to say this name, um, but it is Kokuzisko National Memorial. So it's an actual memorial um, instead of a, a full park. And that gentleman was a good friend of Thomas Jefferson's. And um, somehow they made him a national park on point two acres. And to understand how small that is, um, most house lots in the suburbs are a quarter acre. So um, it's smaller than a quarter acre. Yeah, it's smaller (laughs) than a quarter acre. So um, the first national park was Yellowstone. Now, (laughs) it was established in 1876. Uh, but there, because I said there were 35 national parks, there are other parks that claim they were before. But according to the National Park Service, the first recognized park is uh, Yellowstone. Um, and the annual budget, this kind of blew my mind. I, and I know they have a ton of things going on, but their annual budget is $26 billion. $26 billion with a B dollars to uh, run and preserve everything. And wow. This kind of applies to what we do. So 306 million people a year visit the national parks and monuments. So that's not even including the historic sites, the battlegrounds, the national shorelines, any of this is just parks and monuments, 306 million people a year. That's a lot, which means people are getting out and seeing this country and learning about our history, which excites me. Um, You know, what's really exciting is that you can pay for an annual pass $80 and go to as many as you want an annual pass. So if you're planning to go to three or more in a year, totally worth it. Or if you're handicapped, you get a free annual pass, which is really cool and applies to a lot of people on this call. So yeah, I have my annual pass in my wallet that I didn't know it was free. I went to St. Augustine to the Ford up there and like you're, your vision impaired. I was like, I am They're like, here, here's your free annual pass. And I have used it multiple times. I love it. Um, I love, and it's a lifetime, actually, I shouldn't say an annual pass. It's a lifetime pass. It's a nice hard plastic card that you would try. I try to not intentionally, but I'm not easy on my stuff. And I've yet to be able to put a dent in it. And I've had it for about 10 years now. So, and the highest point in the United States is in that national park, the largest one we talked about, um, and is Denali in Alaska. It's the highest point in the United States and is in a national park. Wow. Yeah. So, fittingly, we are going to go as our first park to the first national park, Yellowstone. Um, Most people know Yellowstone for a certain geyser that we'll talk about later. Um, Yellowstone actually sits in three different states. The majority of the, um, the park is in Wyoming. Um, you'll, I'll, I think two thirds of the park is in Wyoming, but you also find part of it in Montana and Idaho. Um, there's Brian, two... if we go, should we get in our Winnebago and Winnebago. go? And while we're traveling, you can tell us all about it. Let's let's drive through the three states. How about we do that? Yeah. <laughs> on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. So we're gonna ride. 
<laughs> we're gonna rent a tour bus and torture you guys with a a, a, a trip with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, no, please, let's so, do it. There is, you know, I talked about um, Rangal St. Elias is the largest, but Yellowstone's in itself, even though it fits inside that park, it's 2.2 million acres. Um, so that's larger than Rhode Island and Delaware combined. So if you put those two states together, they would actually fit inside of Yellowstone National Park. Now, mind you, I apologize to everybody listening this is like one big travel geek hour. So there's going to be lots of facts flying at you. But I promise we'll put fun stuff in there too, like all of the music. Um, <laughs> so this one was cool to me because I love these things because they're visual, but they're also very, very um, audio driven and sound driven. So there is over 10,000 hydrothermal, um, hydrothermal, uh, locations in Yellowstone National Park. So hydrothermal is geysers. It's mud pots, which I'm still not quite sure what mud pots are. I'm guessing they're like tar pits, but with mud, I don't know. I apologize. Um, there is fuma holes. And so fuma holes is where the, the steam is escaping from the crust of the earth and is can be seen. And if you get, get too close to a fuma hole, some of that seems really, really hot. And that brings me to the last thing, hot springs which I love going swimming in hot springs as long as they're not too hot. Um, and there's 500 active geysers in Yellowstone, um, which is over half the geysers in the entire world, just in this one national park. So I thought, once again, that was kind of a cool nerdy thing that I kind of nerded out about and maybe read two or three times to make sure I was seeing it right. Um, Old Faithful is the one that most people are familiar with. Although it's not the most active and not the most regular geyser, it's the one that's been studied the most. And over the years, it's actually decreased uh, since the studying started in about the 1850s from 20 times a day to where it currently goes off about 17 times a day. So there's other ones that shoot higher, shoot more regular. Um, but for whatever reason, Old Faithful has become the one that everybody is going to flock to. That's going to be the most crowded. And uh, we have a fun little video for you guys of it going off. Close your eyes, you don't want to see that right here. Woo! Higher! Look at Daddy. 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 Look at
first heard the clip what i love is that you can hear all kinds of different languages being spoken yes so there's so that was one of the although it's a a a video i wanted to to show it on here because not only that it's the pictures and the little kid and the the people going oh and having seen geysers go off in different places it's literally like that when you go to a geyser um so it's just so sound driven as far as being you know, something you can experience uh, as well as, you know, if you have some vision, the visual side of it too. Um, So that's, I love that video. That's the reason I wanted to make sure we played it is because of all the reactions and hearing the cameras and the different languages. And so knowing that there is a group of people there, but also know that there's a ton of other geysers that are bigger and more regular. So you don't necessarily have to go to the crowded one when you go up there. (laughs) So. Um, so just to let everybody know, all the videos and audio sounds that we're sharing tonight, we'll make sure to post on our Facebook. Yes. And can I ask a question? Because I'm not seeing it. Is the video coming across on the share? Um, I actually didn't record the video part okay, because cool. so okay. if it not was just no problem. Not a problem. audio we'll described on, so well. Yeah, we will that, put it up on there. Yeah. I just um, understand. Awesome. Yeah. So the one of the other really cool places... Um, in Yellowstone, and this is one of the places I really want to go to, um, to have somebody describe it to me is the Grand Prismatic Hot Spring. So it's obviously a hot spring, otherwise they wouldn't call it a hot spring, but the prismatic side is, and it's something Yellowstone is really known for, but this is the biggest one is the, with the rocks and everything that's going on underneath the water, plus the refraction of the water, um, the colors that are coming out of the water are supposed to be absolutely grandiose and amazing. Um, So that's something I really look forward to. My 18-year-old, who's really good at describing things, I can't wait to stand side-by-side with him one day so he can describe it to me. And um, And you're going to record it and share it with us. Yes, absolutely. Live on our Facebook. Live? Yeah, yeah. that's that yeah. was exactly my plan. Um, yeah. So one of the other cool things at Yellowstone is it is one of the largest places to see animals in their natural habitats. Um, so I'm going to run through these animals really quick. <laughs> you can see grizzly bears. Don't get too close. Don't feed them. Yogi doesn't like it when he, he likes to steal the picnic baskets. Um, so it is the largest herd of bison occurring in nature so bison are really really impressive animals especially in person they're so large but they run really fast um golden eagles which are really cool to see in flight um trumpeter swans now if you haven't seen a a, a trumpet swan they're really kind of odd looking and beautiful all at the same time so i 
that that's something cool to we have to maybe get a picture and put it up or some sort of audio descriptive video of, of one of them because it, it's a very unique looking bird and then gray wolves um and if you go to the Beautiful. south side of the park which is kind of you'll they'll go they'll migrate in and out of the park it is a giant herd of wild horses um that you can have contact with so that is yellowstone okay now remind me again national park okay okay but not the biggest not the just, biggest. Oh, no. That is that is Wrangell Saint uh, Saint Elias in Alaska. But the very first national according park, to the National Park Service okay, is Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Okay, all right. Just keeping my notes straight. All right. So, what are we going to do when we're done with our day? We did a lot in a day, by the way. Um, what are we going to do? We need. We're going to go back to our campground, probably a KOA campground. And we are going to eat some camp food. So, of course, we're going to have, we can have our hot dogs on a stick. On a stick. On a stick. And we can do, um, we can't, we got to have dessert. So we got to do the jumbo marshmallows for our s'mores, which if you've never done this, you have to do this, where you take the marshmallow, you put it on your stick, and you roast it over the fire, and you can actually hear it going, you know, kind of crackly and getting roasted. And then you take it and you put one graham cracker on your hand. Then you put a piece of chocolate. I prefer Hershey's, but Dove works good. And you put the marshmallow, take it off of the stick, and it's super gooey. And then you take another piece of graham cracker and put it on top. And then you start enjoying that warm, yummy, gooey deliciousness. Oh, okay. So you guys probably want to eat some other food too. So we can make some grilled cheese and um, macaroni salad. Like any noodle salads are really good for camping. So that's what we're having for dinner tonight. Just some good old campfire time. And we're going to sit around and relax and share stories of our day. But I think it's time to move on to our next place. What do you think, driver? I'm down. Winnebago! I love it. (laughs) Where did you take us? Too much fun tonight. I love it. Where'd you take us? Where are we now? Um, I wow. think we went just outside of Yellowstone and went to Grand Teton National Park. Oh, yeah. We were going to stop there because it's very close. Yes. Yeah. Um, this place is beautiful. I never actually got to go and experience the park. I only got to drive by it, but it's very famous for its it's like almost sculptures of how the wind and the rain and the earth elements have created these stone um, mountain picturesque statues. And of course the famous one is the one with the big hole in it. Um, And when the sun hits all the beautiful mountain surrounding, 
there is just amazing different colors and shades of orange and yellows and browns and stuff like that. So and I if was you very... look at it just right, Terry, it looks like a glazed donut. I Isn't was that right? Just... Yes. <laughs> you and your donuts. That's right. So, but you know what? That's not the most famous place to go get pictures. The most famous place is there's a, um, area of the park where they have the most famous two barns to go get pictures and people you can actually go out there and spend the day painting the two different barns and it's um, just super beautiful there's tons of pictures taken of these famous barns because of how the mountains and the sculptures are around these natural sculptures are around the barns so very very beautiful um, the other part of the park is there is um, Jenny's. There's three lakes. Well, yeah, three lakes. Um, the most popular is Jenny's Lake. And there is an amazing dock there where you can dock your boat and hang your feet off the dock. And we can have a snack again. Um, I don't know if we're super hungry again. And Always, uh, always right? <laughs> <laughs> But um, supposedly, you're not going to believe this, but the pizza is supposed to be amazing. So wait, you wait, can wait, get wait. to go. The pizza? The pizza. In Wyoming. In Wyoming, I know. Some of our Chicago and New Yorkers are like, what? Yeah, I just cr- I'm not going to lie. I'm just cringed a little bit. So now, I, now it's a I challenge. Know. Now I have to go to try I the know. pizza. But, um, you know, I just have to say there you know, how awesome it would be to pull up and so you can take it to go. Um, you can pull up in your, um, take it on a bike trip because there's tons of hiking. You can walk and eat your pizza or the best thing is you can sit on nice picnic tables and just experience the clean air and the beautiful scenery around and just have that open air place. But the great news is, is they do rent boats and canoes and kayaks so you can take your pizza out on the water and of course brian i know how much you love hearing the water hitting the side of the boat oh yeah one of my favorite sounds in the world oh yeah any excuse to be out in the water i'm there i'm good so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we'll need to go there yeah totally cool cool, cool. but yeah i was surprised pizza yeah amazing pizza at grand teton national park all right Cool. At Jenny's, don't forget it's at Jenny's Lake. Don't get confused Jenny's with Lake. the other. Okay. Jenna. Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we headed to next? So we're gonna open it up for questions or interaction real quick. Um, uh, we've been talking a lot, so I want to those people that are listening out there, really quick show of hands first. How many people have either been to a national park or even just along the same line been camping? I see two hands raised, actually. Cool. <laughs> so we got two people. Three hands. Already. Three hands. Cool. So now. Four hands. Four hands. Great. <laughs> so the hands are going up. So here's the thing. I want to know what the best thing you ever ate, either at a national park or while camping was. So feel free to keep your hand up if you want to talk, and we will call on you. And Desiree, whenever you want to call on them, that would be great. Hey. Um, since I have the floor, <laughs> um, rock climbing 
long time ago, we got to get super creative with our food. And I learned that you could make ground beef, dehydrate it, and then take it with you on the trail. And oh. we made tacos out of that. And it was freaking awesome. Nice. That, awesome. that like gives new meaning to a crunchy taco. <laughs> uh, no, you rehydrate it in, in again. Oh, you rehydrate it. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That, that's that's going to be our cooking show next. Yeah. Rehydration. Camping rehydration with Desiree. That's right. And that has a little ring to it as well. Okay. Right, so we we've got Richard. Richard, what's going on, buddy? Richard. All right. There you are. Um, it probably had to have been uh, noodles, um, like the other person with vegetables. Yes. So, yep. like a pasta primavera kind of thing? Yeah, like a, exactly, because it's it's easy to pack in the coolers and yep. our canoes. We did uh, Yellowstone about 14 years ago with oh, Wilderness cool. Inquiry. Um, and if you don't drive and you don't see and you need to go camping, um, Wilderness Inquiry out of Minneapolis does these really amazing camping trips for anybody with all abilities and disabilities. And uh, that was Yellowstone. It was amazing. Very cool. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thanks, Richard. Anybody else yep. have their hand up? Yep. We now have the non-camper, my mother, otherwise known as <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> hey, Teresa. Now, is she a camper or is she a glamper? Uh, as long as the facility has a plug-in for her hairdryer. <laughs> ah, love it. You're my glamper girl. Let's go, girl. No, she can, she'll avoid it if she can help it. Yeah. I keep asking her to unmute. Teresa, what was your favorite food while you were out? Okay, finally. There she goes. There you go. Hard time when I'm on my iPhone. Um, were you blowing your, were you hair drying your hair, getting all pretty for the? <laughs> <laughs> yes, curling my hair for the bears. <laughs> so I have to have a princess tent and the whole nine yards. <laughs> So what was your favorite thing that you've eaten on a camping trip or at a national park, Teresa? I'm sorry, what? Say that again. What was your favorite thing that you've eaten oh. at either a, a national park or while camping? I don't, I don't know. The food's not what I remember or go for. <laughs> so I don't okay. know. And yeah. So anyway. No, right. but she could tell you a couple of good bear stories from <laughs> her childhood. Well, we, we will. We will <laughs> take that on maybe the yeah. the next national park. That I'll make sure that's a question. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do we have any other hands up, Desiree, before we move on to our next park? There were two more, but they lowered their hands. Okay. Okay. Not sure where they went to. Well, we will have one more interaction hopefully before the call's over. But we are ready to move on. Going out west, Desiree. Go west. <laughs> On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again All, All right. right Cool, we are going to Zion National Park in Utah So I have had a ton of friends go here And it's on my bucket list of places to visit in the U.S. Um, I am a short, stout man uh, But I love to hike and walk And you may not know that if you get to see me or hug me and hopefully we can all do that at a convention sometime soon um, but I like to be really really active and so this is one of the places I really want to go um, one of the things it's really known for is it's red rock um, 
landscapes. So red rock, it just, it refracts the light really well. It's pretty, pretty just nice to look at for those of you that have some vision and really, really easy to describe because it gets really cool contours on it. Um, from the erosion stuff. So for those of us that, you know, for those of you who have no vision, it'd be really easy for somebody to uh, describe it to you. And I believe most of these are places that you could actually walk up and touch. So that would be kind of something fun to do out there. Um, I didn't know this, and this was kind of a cool nerdy thing for me. So it was actually a national monument before it became a national park. So um, it was named after the indigenous tribe that uh, lived out there. Um, And it was a national monument. But then um, I believe it was President Taft um, made it a national park about eight years later. And so since it was one of the first national parks to be named a national park under the National Park Service. Um, Sorry. Yeah, so oh, the original the name. Donut. Yeah, I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, the donuts are, <laughs> I, I'm dreaming of the donut at Grand Tintum, so I apologize. Um, it is home to one of the greatest engineering feats of the 20th century, the Zion Mount Carmel um, Highway and Tunnel. It's a 1.1 tunnel that actually goes through uh, the bedrock because it was basically inaccessible to people. There was 25 miles of really, really bad roads. And now they, they figure out how to go through um, and create this highway, go through the, the, the basically the mountains that are out there. And it actually has um, windows through the, through the highway. And when you said it was 1.1 miles. Yes. That's the, what I found. I think I'm right. Um, don't make me second guess myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 1.1 mile, um, and it, I believe it goes out the southwest of the park. Uh, that one I'm definitely not sure on. But it has windows going through the tunnel, and it's a really big deal. It's supposed to be one of the, the prettiest scenic highways, but engineering-wise, it was a big deal when it happened uh, in the early part of the 20th century. Um, there's also the Zion Canyon Scenic Highway, uh, which I love because as visually impaired people and blind people, we don't drive. They have a shuttle bus that takes you up and down the highway. And for those of you that are really, really active, that shuttle bus has a bike rack. So you can actually bike this and see um, everything, most of Zion, including Angel's Landing, um, some of the things that they have uh, that are, they're really, really famous for out there. And um, the other thing in the winter, the shuttle bus doesn't run because Utah can get cold. Um, And so they say that you have to drive. So take that personal driver from uh, Yellowstone up with you and make sure you drive the trail. And it is also, yeah, the, this is what I was getting to. Most of my friends that have gone out there uh, go for the hiking and they're really, really famous for like their eight to 12 hour one day hiking trails. Um, one of the things that I've appreciated doing the research for our call tonight is if you're a hiker, a canoeer, kayaker, a bike rider, 
national parks are the best place to go because they maintain the path so well. So yeah, hiking everywhere. Yes, it's a beautiful absolutely. thing. Yeah. So that is Zion National Park out in Utah. And so we are going to go back up northeast, not to the northeast, but northeast of Utah. So let's move it on along, driver. Yes, sir. Winnebago! I love that music. I do um, too. <laughs> so <laughs> the next feel like site- thank you, Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I was the, just gonna say thank you, Tyson. <laughs> uh, the next site we're going to actually isn't a national park. It is a national memorial. Um, oh. and we are going to Mount Rushmore. So most people know what it is. It's the giant sculpture in the Dakotas that is of the four presidents. Um, but yeah, it's, I was under the impression it was a national park, but it's actually a national memorial. It's located in Keystone in South Dakota in the Black Hills of South Dakota. So um, it's up there. It's out there. It's not easy to get to. So if you're going there, you probably <laughs> planned on going there. <laughs> you didn't just happen to show up. Um <laughs> So, Definitely going to need our Winnebago for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, it's been featured in a ton of movies. Like this, it's a big, big deal. You know, there's trinkets everywhere. It's been a ton of movies, but probably most famously in Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. Um, and the idea came from Treasure. Yeah, it was. My favorite documentary. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The idea came from Doan. um, Let me see if I can. Robinson. And the whole idea was he was um, a politician from South Dakota. And he was trying to figure out how to get tourists to come. So he wanted this big, giant stone structure uh, carving of Wild West Famous Wild West people like Calamity Jane, Wild Bill Hillcock, um, you know, uh, anybody f- famous from the Wild West or the Wild West entertainment circuit. He wanted there, so he thought people would come. And then the actual artist, um, Gutson Bergham, uh, don't reach out to him because he was the artist that started the uh, Confederate general carving down in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is actually a little bit larger than Mount Rushmore um, in scale. But he got fired from that um, and actually became an outlaw because when he got fired, he destroyed the scale structure that they were going to use to build it because it was his and he didn't want him. And so they called the cops and he was an outlaw. And that's how he wound up up in South Dakota saying, okay, (laughs) instead of working on two projects, I'm just going to work on one. But um, he told Don Robinson that there's no way people were going to come uh, see Wild West people in the droves that they were thinking that he wanted to make it patriotic. And uh, where Don Robinson wanted it, the stone wasn't going to work. So he picked out uh, where it is now, the artist did, and picked out the south 
east corner of the hills because it would catch um, the sun better than any other. And the, the rock was easily sculptable. I say easily because I didn't have to do it, but it was more easily sculptable <laughs> than everywhere else that um, that was out there. So this is someplace I really, 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 really want to go. So it, it is, as I told my wife in the next year or two, it's somewhere we really uh, have to plan on going. Um, the president's heads are 60 feet high. They're each 60 feet. So you figure uh, about a six-story building, and that's, and I think maybe because of perspective, they look a little bit bigger to me, but 60 feet high. Um, it was started in 1927, and it was finished in 1941 at a cost of just under a million dollars. Um, I don't think that has been adjusted for inflation. I think that was the cost at the time, so a lot, a lot of money. And 14 mm-hmm. years, and this is absolutely from memory, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe that his son actually was the sculptor who finished it. I don't think the original artist finished it, um, but that is completely from watching History Channel and from memory. Um, did he go to jail or did he die? I'm just joking. I believe he passed away. Yeah, he, <laughs> he never went to jail. Okay. Um, so the four presidents they picked were very specifically picked. So Washington was picked because he is the first president and founder of the country, um, you know, turned down absolute power just to hear on his own right. Uh, Thomas Jefferson um, was picked not only for being an integral part of, of the declaration, but also for the Louisiana Purchase, which was the precursor and the catalyst for Western expansion and the expansion of the U.S., and then we had Theodore Roosevelt. He was picked for two reasons. One was he was like the face of the industrial revolution of the early 20th century uh, because he was president around then. And also because he was a huge conservationist. Um, he was one of the people that started the, the preserves and things like that and was very big into, even though he was a big gamesman, uh, he really believed in caring for the the land and everything. So, and then um, Abe Lincoln, obviously for uh, freeing the slaves and leading the country through the Civil War. So that's why those four were picked. So that is Mount Rushmore, and yeah, we're gonna go on to our last national park. Yay! Going down to our home state, mine and Terry's home state. <laughs> yeah, this is a long trip, so you can pay two. No, I'm just joking. So first, so heading- we, need, we need to... On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. And after we get there, we then need to... if we're gonna actually get on the water and see our next place that's right everybody we're going to the everglades of florida one of the most amazing places so it's the third largest um we can actually put the entire state of Delaware. I don't know why Delaware is being picked on tonight as the size of everything. Because it's Delaware. Yeah, it's Delaware. So, um, yeah, so Delaware would fit inside the Everglades. It is an amazing place to go to. There are four visiting centers, 
And thank you, Tyson and Desiree, for our airboat, because one of the best ways of seeing the Everglades is via airboat. Now, there are four different um, visiting centers, and they are scattered in four different places. So we've got the one on the Gulf side. We've got one in the north, which is called Sharks Point, which I don't understand because it's not near the water, but they call it Shark Point. Um, and then we've got the one on the east, and then we have the one on the south, which is the Flamingo one. And let me just tell you, when you go to these visiting centers, they're not walking distance apart. They are very, very far apart, a couple of hundred miles apart. Um, there you can rent canoes, you can rent, uh, get an airboat ride, um, you can get a ferry, you can um, do all these magnificent things, you can canoe, um, you get a map of all the trails because hiking, hiking, hiking is what you do, a lot of walking, um, but I need to tell you there are some animals there that um, the peak time of the Everglades is actually to visit in the winter time. So right now we're at the best time because they have these little animals called alligators and crocodiles. And as you guys know, those are actually reptiles. So when, it's cold, <laughs> when, when, they're, when they're cold, they move a little slower. So, so the best time to go visit is now because they move around and a lot of people are fascinated by them because they're like, they're, they're kind of like cats. They kind of walk very sneaky and, you know, and stuff like that. But it's still recommended. Do not feed them. Do not feed them. Um, and you want to stay at least 15 feet away because if they get the energy up, they will, they get a burst of energy. But if you just run crooked, like don't run in a straight line because they can only run in a straight line really fast up to 30 miles per hour. But if you run a zigzag pattern, they can't catch you. So that's from a Floridian, native Floridian that will tell you. But um, you can go down there and you can go on a bike path and for an hour or two hours and actually see like 45 to 50 um, gators. But when you go over to the Flamingo um, <clears throat> the Flamingo uh, Welcome Station, they have an amazing restaurant there that will actually has gator bites, gator tail, and you can actually taste what gator tastes like. And I love my gator bites. They're so good. And they're sauteed in butter and some little Old Bay, and they're just really yummy. Um, they're kind of like fishy chicken they're a little bit if you're peppery. eating fishy chicken if you actually know what fishy chicken tastes like <laughs> i'm just <laughs> well it's the texture of chicken <laughs> but it's kind of fishy you know so don't yeah. knock it till you try it it's very good and you can have it sauteed you can have it deep fried you can have now i'm you know i'm gonna go not go into my bubba gump but it is amazing gator bites but they also have frog legs and frog legs are delicious. If you've never tried frog legs, um, again, um, they taste kind of chickeny, but not. They're a little different, but they're really good. If you like chicken wings, try frog legs one time. 
Awesome. And, awesome, uh, awesome. and you'll realize they taste nothing alike. Um, well, they don't taste like a leg because <laughs> the frog legs are skinnier than a chicken um, legs. And they taste a little bit like fishy chicken <laughs> because they hang out in the water yeah. a lot. You know, so, I, I can I can see a trend here of making viral videos of Brian eating weird things. Oh, oh yeah. No, they, trust me. There's been talk hurt. about that already. Trust me. <laughs> Brian eats. On YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> so the Everglades is the only place that you'll find crocodiles and alligators together because of the salt water and the freshwater combining combination. But it is just a beautiful place. The different birds, the different things. So I do have to say in 1992, when Hurricane Andrew came in and devastated because it was a Cat 5, um, um, homestead there was a um the monkey the monkey jungle and the whole thing was devastated so um i was part of the medical team because their hospital got destroyed so i did go down there and uh, <laughs> one day they had me go on a four-wheeler and we were out trying to catch the monkeys and they're like oh by the way if you see any pythons just pick it up and i'm like uh yeah no so um, it was bad enough trying to chase monkeys on a four-wheeler. I was not going after the reptiles. So I just so it, wish there was video of that. I know, right? Of me playing <laughs> with the monkeys. Yeah, it was funny. They would just jump on your back. It was. I got two of them. And um, it was a fun four-hour trip. You know, I needed a break. But um, most of you guys may have heard that there are an amazing number of pythons now in the Everglades because of the hurricane in 1992, the Everglades are overpopulated by these pythons. So they will actually pay you to go kill a python. And it's like anywhere between 90 to $120 per python that you kill. And as I recall, they are not native to the Everglades, correct? They are not very negative. Very, not native, right? Yeah, they're not native. Yeah. I thought you said negative. Yeah, yeah. they totally they came out. They totally all came out from the um, 1992 Hurricane Andrew because of the um, bringing in, you know, reptiles that were very, you, you know, not unique to Florida and around the world. So that's also why we have. <laughs> okay, here's the test question for our geek Brian. Uh oh. What? In Fort Lauderdale, what animal is considered to be the chicken of the tree? Uh, An iguana. Iguanas. Very good, Brian. So do you know where those are overrunning the South Florida? Uh, I I just remember the news story last year when they were falling from the tree because it got so cold. Right. Again, from Hurricane (laughs) Andrew in 1992, because iguanas were not native to Florida. So just realize all these zoos and stuff we have, if those animals get out, they do populate and then they (laughs) take over our natural habitat. So right now in the Everglades, it's the battle of the iguanas, the crocodiles, the gators, the pythons, the sharks, the fishies. How about some, how about some gator tail? (laughs) You're you're hungry. You're hungry for some gator tail. Yeah, Gator um, good. Gator we have a good. really, really cool audio clip 
from uh, a science website uh, about the Everglades that I'd love to play before we wrap up the call. If oh, we can do that. sounds great. I'm going to go sit in the hot tub and have me some. <laughs> All right. Video shows alligator in the Everglades. The park's always really fun, but getting to go up in a helicopter and view it from that perspective or flying through it on an airboat just definitely give you a different perspective of the the nature out there. Walking through thick vegetation. Once I got more involved with it and started going outside, doing all the field work on airboats, or even just swamp walking in the Everglades National Park, and then I see all this stuff, I'm like, wow, this is spectacular. The Everglades is really the model for wetland restoration around the world. Almost everything boils down to the Everglades down here. Sunset through palm trees. Logo reads outside science, inside parks. Host on screen. For this episode, we're focusing on plants and water in one of the wettest national parks, the Everglades. Park scientists use satellite maps, airboats, and helicopters to understand how the vegetation in the Everglades is changing. Speaker is Craig Perry, biological technician. Um, It's a major component of the comprehensive Everglades restoration project. Before they go in and alter the flow of the water and try to restore the historic water flow of the Everglades, we're going to be able to map it prior to that. Speaker is Michelle Pratt's biological technician. What it is is we're trying to figure out what exactly is at any given location so that when we go back to the office and view it from the aerial point of view, we already have a sense of what's happening there so we can call the community what it is as accurately as possible. Speaker is Mike Foguer, biological technician. When I put these 3D glasses on right here, um, especially when I'm looking at this mirror, everything pops out. Then I see the height of each uh, plant that I see in there, or um, I see um, which colors, because depending which spectral band you select on, you see certain species that are really vibrant, and you say, oh, that's a red mango right there. Speaker is Pablo L. Ruiz, Vegetation Mapping Project Manager. It it sort of creates this uh, natural history of the landscape that may otherwise not be there. Technicians at work. We have a group of uh, were originally interns, and when this project came around, um, we, we tapped into their knowledge and their resources to help us map. Speaker is Alejandro Artiaga, college intern. It provides a venue for me to sort of translate what I learned in the classroom, put it to actual use before I head on to do maybe some individual, I mean, independent research. Speaker is again Pablo L. Ruiz. So we sort of have this land, air, and sea sort of approach to our mapping. We're, we're basically can approach any site um, through multiple means. Speaker is Craig Perry at Controls of the Airboat. Right now, we are in Taylor Slough in the southern Everglades. Uh, height of vegetation class. Science is not always, uh, doesn't always take place in the classroom or, you know, in the lab. This is one of the aspects of science and data collection that not a lot of people get to experience. Speaker is again Alejandra Artiaga. We're going to be looking at plots and we're going to be classifying the vegetation by majority in each plot. Helicopter takes off. Speaker is Michelle Pratz. Yesterday was fun. We went up in the helicopter to collect uh, training points where we fly over 50 by 50 meter grid cells to basically assess what the community is at that location and uh, look at the species present and determine what we're going to call it. Speaker is Craig Perry off camera. My degree actually is in education, environmental education, and uh, I think it's one of the most important things that we can do is pass on that legacy of preserving nature and conservation to the next generation. Speaker is again Pablo L. Ruiz. 
And that's, I think, most important things that uh, it's based in our tradition as humans to pass on our information from one generation to the other. And so as an educator or as a team leader, being able to sort of mentor and, and bring young scientists along is, is always very rewarding. Group walking through the Everglades. Host on screen. Who knew a morning commute could be so much fun? So, yeah. Who did? We yeah, are right. almost at the end of the show, so I'm going to get the trivia question out there really quick. Our winner will get a $100 savings card. If you have one, there's somebody out there that has one that I have not gotten a card to. I apologize. I promise this week it'll go out. Um, and Desiree, first hand to go up. If you've won already, please let somebody else answer because we only give out one prize per person. So what, according to the National Park Service, is the first national park? Any hand? None yet. None yet. Might have the a color in its name. It may have gone first. We're winding down. We may not give out a savings card this week. Anybody? Ah, got a hand. Richard. Got a hand. Richard. Richard. Hmm. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Hey! Where's Richard's been? <laughs> Richard, if you would do me a favor, um, I oh actually you contact us through Facebook. I will send you the information through Facebook. Awesome, awesome. Thank Thanks. you so awesome. much, Richard. Yep. Thank Guys, you, Richard. Thank you, everybody, for spending an hour with us. Um, we want to know where you guys want to go as we're planning 2021. We have a lot of big things planned. Uh, one of the things that we'd really, really like to do as travel opens back up is to have an out of sight adventures trip. So we'll talk about more about that probably towards the second half of the year, God willing. Um, thank you, Darrow, for streaming us. Thank you, Desiree, for driving the Winnebago. Thank you, Terry, for leading this band of merry people. And thank you guys, everyone, for listening out there on ACB Radio or in the community call. We really appreciate doing this. You can reach us at outofsightadventures2020 at gmail.com or at our Facebook page, Out of Sight Adventures. Terry, anything you'd like to say before we leave? Yes, and I apologize. I will do an audio description of what an airboat looks like and feels like. <laughs> Head over to our Facebook page where we'll post all of our videos tonight and you can actually watch and rehear the description. Otherwise, everyone, happy, better 2021, better year. And don't forget, next year we're going international, so get those passports ready. Um, there is an audio descriptive video of part of the Mount Rushmore tour that I will be putting up in the next hour on the Facebook page. So please go check that out. It'll be up by 9.30 this evening. Once again, thank you so much. Desiree, if you could play us out of here, we would love that. Thank you, Tyson. Oh, you awesome. bet we can do anything in our... Winnebago! You know what? What? I kind of got a hankering for a hot tub. A hot tub? You know, I think I might tub. just go back to the hot tub and get my old bones a soak. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Well, don't you want to go play some tennis first, man? Tennis? Where are we going to play tennis? On the top of our... Uh... Winnebago! Yeah. Right, I forgot about that. I just put that in by the helicopter pad. <laughs> Good night, everyone.